In today's parable, we are treated, or should I say confronted, by another of Jesus' parables about a Pharisee and a tax collector. You'll remember that the Pharisees came into prominence a couple of hundred years before Jesus came on the scene. At the outset, we can give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they only had the best of intentions. Their goal was to observe the laws of God that had been handed down to them through the centuries. To do that, they became more and more strict about observing the letter of the law and became more and more judgmental and unforgiving of those who did not live up to their standards. It is a delicate balance between observing personal piety and falling into the trap of judging others as being somehow less worthy than we are. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were clearly recognized as the religious leaders of Israel. Our story begins with a Pharisee who goes to the temple to pray. It was normal and even expected that a faithful Jewish person would pray three times a day, at nine in the morning, at noon, and at three o'clock in the afternoon. If at all possible, it was preferable to go to the temple because that was where the Holy of Holies was located, the place where even the high priest could only enter once a year on the Day of Atonement. Thus, going to the temple brought a person more directly into the presence of God. The Pharisee boasted that he fasted twice a week, thus exceeding the Jewish requirement of fasting only on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. The fast on Yom Kippur is to atone and repent for personal sins in order to receive cleansing and purification. Incidentally, Yom Kippur occurred recently this year from October 4th at sunset to nightfall on October 5th. During his prayer, the Pharisee also needs to remind God that he tithes a tenth of everything he owns, again, exceeding the requirement of tithing just from the proceeds of a person's agricultural produce. In essence, the Pharisee informs God of how deserving he is and thanks God that he is not like most people thieves, rogues, adulterers, and even this tax collector. I think we can all agree that the Pharisee's prayer is really not much of a prayer at all. You may recall that we talked in a previous service about why tax collectors were considered outcasts. 
They were Jews whose job it was to collect taxes for the Roman government and who in the process of collecting those taxes made a personal profit on the backs of the Jewish people. The prayer of the tax collector stands in sharp contrast to that of the Pharisee. The tax collector stands far off with his eyes lowered, beating his breast in remorse and saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. An honest, very humble plea for God's mercy. This parable brings to mind the passage on prayer from the Gospel of Matthew, included as part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. The obvious parallel for us today when we are talking about public prayer is the debate about prayer in schools. In 1962, the Supreme Court ruled that public prayer in public schools violated the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. I was eight years old at the time, so it was a long time ago. And we are still arguing about it. As you know, the First Amendment of the Bill of Rights states in part that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. This is what Thomas Jefferson referred to as the wall of separation between church and state. In 1992, the court decided that invocations offered at high school graduations violated the Establishment Clause because students were essentially coerced to participate in these prayers. And in the year 2000, the Supreme Court ruled that public prayer could not be offered at the start of high school football games because while students' attendance was mostly voluntary, players and cheerleaders did not have the option of leaving during the prayer. And so there was an element of coercion. You may remember that in June of this year, the Supreme Court ruled six to three in Kennedy versus Bremerton that Coach Kennedy had the right to pray at midfield at the conclusion of his team's high school football games. The court determined that his prayers were personal prayers and that players were not coerced to participate. Also, it was written into his job description that he was given time after the game to attend to personal matters, like using his cell phone, greeting family and friends in the stands, and that sort of thing. So the court determined that when he prayed, he was no longer in his role as a government 
employee. In this particular case, the court ruled that Coach Kennedy's personal right to free speech trumped the Establishment Clause. In her dissenting opinion, Justice Sotomayor wrote that whereas the majority characterized Kennedy's prayers as private, she thought, in fact, that they were very public and that Kennedy had encouraged others to join, some of whom may have felt an element of coercion. I am obviously not a legal scholar, and I am undoubtedly simplifying the legalities in these cases. So allow me to speak to you instead as a minister. Thomas Jefferson was concerned about the Anglican Church being enshrined as the state religion of Virginia. For that reason, he advocated for the wall of separation between church and state so that no one religion could be established over any other. Today, in our pluralistic and multi-religious society, how much more does the free exercise of one's religion need to be well guarded? What strikes me is that in light of this parable and Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, why do some Christians feel like the only place they can pray is right after the game on the 50-yard line in the middle of a football field? Or how can some Christians claim that prayer has been banned from schools when they ought to know that any teacher or student who wants to pray can pray and find a quiet place at almost any given time? It seems to me that we have a choice. We can make our practice of religion a show and make ourselves feel better by looking around at all the people who aren't doing it quite as well as we are. Or we can be like the tax collector who came before God honestly and humbly, recognizing his own unworthiness and asking for God's mercy. May it be so. Thank you, Dan. Getting old is weird. It's not just hard. Uh, it, 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 it's weird. Those of you who are old know what I'm talking about. Um, I love this question. How old would you think you are if you didn't know how old you really are? If you didn't know how many birthdays you'd really had, how old would you think you are? Now, I think of myself as sort of late 20s or early 30s. Now, maybe you expect your pastor to think of himself as more mature than that, but that's kind of how I think of myself. That's how I feel in my body, kind of the way I think about the world. But when all of my neighbors, those, those neighbors with young kids, insist in always and only calling me Mr. Russ, well, I realize that I'm not actually their age at all. And I went to my 40th high school reunion this past weekend. Oh, my goodness, 40th. 
Now, the truth is, I honestly don't feel much different than I did when I was tromping around on the band field or running on the tennis court with those folks. But that sounds ancient, doesn't it? It doesn't work with what's going on in my head to know that I graduated from high school four decades ago. And then try to tell your kids about how things were when you grew up. Oh, my goodness. Um, everything in the grocery store when I was a kid was sold in glass bottles. And then came the plastics revolution. I've told my boys that, and they're like, there was no plastic when you were a kid? You're older than plastic? <laughs> Ever tried to explain high-test gasoline to a teenager? Do you want regular or unleaded? They don't even know what that question means. There were exactly three television stations when I was a kid. And what in the world is a black and white TV anyway? But the oddest thing about our, uh, our childhood, my childhood, must have been the rotary dial telephone. I mean, as a kind of metaphor, what better symbol is there of the quantum change we have experienced since the 1960s and 70s? Amy has tried to explain to our boys about her junior year and senior year in high school when I was off at Furman and the ordeal that it was to try to talk to me on the telephone. Back in those days, we actually post-stamped and, and hand-mailed handwritten letters to each other. Even though I was just an hour down the road at Furman, we wrote letters to each other because calling was so hard. The cord limited where you could put the telephone in the house, and if you were advanced enough to have a long you know, extension cord from the wall, maybe you could stretch the, uh, stretch the phone out of the living room where your parents were sitting or the den and into that back hall and shut the door so you could talk to your boyfriend alone just, just a little bit for a few minutes. And I do mean a few minutes. Every Wednesday night for a few minutes because these were long-distance telephone calls, Right? What's a long-distance telephone call? I'm so sorry our young people are out this morning and, and not here for me to try to tell them about all the pressure I felt if I ever tried to ask my parents if I could call Amy. Um, it was a long-distance call. We had to pay for that. And then there were all the new ways of making those long-distance calls. I remember my AT&T calling card. You may have had one of these. You could dial the access number, and then I could dial 833-0788, and I could talk to Amy Jacks, who was then sitting in the hallway back there behind the closed door, so she could talk to me for just a few minutes, because I was monitoring the time, because the minutes on my card were ticking away. Long-distance calling. Now, I don't have to tell you what a transformation the smartphone is for our world. More computing power times almost infinity than my first computer. Video calling just at your fingertips. Instant access to the entire world. And no one, no one in the entire world is a long distance call away. It's absolutely amazing. But today's scripture makes me wonder if we don't need a long distance plan for calling God. Now this is not what most Baptist preachers are going to tell you. They want you to know that it costs nothing to talk to God. There's no AT&T plan. There are no access numbers. There are no time limits. Prayer is free. 
You can have full access to God any day, any time to ask for anything you want. Maybe that's a significant part of the American problem. I told you last week that the renowned scholar Karen Armstrong says we have made God far too easy. American religion has so domesticated God, made God our little buddy in the sky, defined God within the parameters of our religion and increasingly within our political party. I turned on the radio this morning at 7 o'clock as I was driving, and as I sometimes do, I, I look for talk radio. And as I sometimes try to do, I listen for somebody that doesn't agree with me so I can listen to the other side. Oh, my goodness. Unbelievable. I couldn't tell whether I was listening to a Christian show or a partisan political show, even though they called it the Christian perspective. Just amazing. We have made God so easy that the divine has become a cheap commodity. And any good capitalist will tell you that anything that costs you nothing is probably worth just that. Jesus upholds the exemplar in today's text not because that tax collector had God on speed dial, could take for granted asking for anything, anytime, not because God was close and cheap, but because humility always creates a little distance the Pharisee took for granted his proximity to God, assumed God's benevolence, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes. Now, to be sure, humility is tricky business. I usually preach the other side of this, to be sure. Far too many people suffer from insecurity and self-hatred. With Photoshop magazine models perfecting the female body, uh, many girls can't even look at themselves in the mirror. With megastars of athletics virtually deified by salaries and celebrity, too many of our boys don't even give sports a chance anymore. With our love of capitalism and a history of prosperity, the average guy, much less the single mother receiving assistance, can't even see success. Bezos, Musk, Zuckerberg, the unfortunate fortunes of our gilded age impose a burden of shame on those just trying to get by. In a lot of ways, there's just too much distance. The last thing we need in a society of unfortunate inequalities is to make people feel even worse about themselves, that they don't match up even more. But that's not what true humility is about. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Without inviting people to beat themselves up, however, maybe we do need to help people put a little space in their lives between what others say we need to be and who we know we are, between standards that are literally unattainable for most of us, maybe undesirable, and the lives that we can live, lives that are ordinary, but good and decent. And space between a God we've made into our buddy, the leader of our gang, maybe we need a little space between a God we can control and the mystery that God is, the deep spirit of interior and infinity. 
a God that deserves to be approached with an awe and a reverence that is often eclipsed um, by the contempt of our casual religious comfort. Maybe we're just a little too close. Now, I don't need to tell you, if you've listened to me at all in the last 20 years, that I believe in the church more today than I ever have. I have a broad understanding of God, a generous tolerance for how some people conceive of the divine, but I believe in the worship of God because worship requires a posture of essential humility. I don't know where people are learning essential humility if they're not in church. I really don't. Humility and humanity and humus, the dirt, they all go together. They're all connected. We need not beat ourselves up for not matching up to one another, to those standards. We need not beat ourselves up, yet recognizing some distance between ourselves and God is important. It doesn't mean groveling before God to recognize some distance. It does not mean denying the importance and the power of our human potential. But even the broadest understand, even, even with the broadest understanding of God, worship does put us in a fundamental posture of humility. And there may be nothing more important for an arrogant and angry culture. Because humility leads us to understanding of the other, recognition, awareness, compassion. Humility leads not ultimately to the recognition of God, but with God as a beginning point. Humility leads us to lives of fundamental gratitude. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven. But Jesus said, this man went down justified. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Ironically, paradoxically, putting God on a long-distance calling plan may be just what we need to bring us together. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, so deep is their reverence for you that our brothers and sisters in the Orthodox Jewish community will not even call your name. And we have made you our buddy on speed dial to do our bidding. Anything we want, anywhere, anytime, you're right there. Give us a sense of reverence, a sense of awe, that we might come in this place and bow down. That we might come in this place and recognize with humility who you are and what you call us to be in our very human being. In that recognition, oh God, make us, may, may we go from this place very, very human, committed to be connected to one another. May it be so.